instant regret. Every time. Why? Every time I get McDonald's. Like, what does it make you feel like? <clears throat> Bloated. Really? And, uh... I did not have that problem. Just not, uh, healthy. Just not, not a good feeling. Not like, uh, if you were to eat a salad, you feel refreshed. It's like, oh, a salad. My stomach doesn't do that. I have an iron stomach. I could eat rocks, like the dinosaurs, and I would be fine. I mean, I can... <clears throat> I could put away some food, let me tell you. It's just, it's not a... It wasn't food. I don't feel anything. <laughs> Nothing. Welcome to Beer and Fear. This is episode 16. That's beautiful. My name is Zach. My name is Paige. Uh, this episode, we decided to talk about tornadoes. And we're both very sleepy babies right now. Both very tired. We both don't have much to talk about. Um, I uh, I don't really know. I kind of picked this topic sort of on a whim. Um, I, I kind of want to get away from always doing things about cryptids, even though... All of our episodes about cryptids are always really interesting, and I learn a lot. Um, there are other things out there that people are scared of. Did you know that? No, I had no idea. Mm-hmm. Honestly, I think you're pulling a, like the wool over my eyes. I think you're <laughs> lying to me. <clears throat> so I like to just mix things up. Um, you don't have to explain yourself. Oh, well, I just they don't, don't owe know. you don't owe them an excuse. You're right. Um. What'd you do? Oh, <laughs> over dude, the week? I ain't got nothing new. <laughs> nothing. <laughs> nothing new. We watched uh, Spaceballs. Yeah, and, uh, then I, and then I watched it again yesterday. And you watched it again yesterday. It'd been a while since I saw that movie. Oh yeah, a couple things we got wrong from the last episode. It. Um, Don't say we. Oh yeah, it was all me. It was all my fault. Um, I think I said Burlington, uh, where I was thinking about getting that beer. Um, but I don't think that's correct. Uh, I meant Bloomington. Bloomington is next to Peoria. Uh, Burlington is actually here in King County. So Burlington's really close. Bloomington, however, is not close. Uh, also, uh, I cut it out because I, we didn't want to seem uh, like we didn't know what we were talking about. Mm. Uh, but, you? Well, you. I said it, I said it was Spaceballs. And then you're like, oh, yeah, Spaceballs. <laughs> um. The whole uh, Mowage thing. Mowage. Uh, we, we thought it was from Spaceballs. It's not from Spaceballs. We watched it after uh, the episode, and um, I made the connection when I was editing uh, last week's episode. It's from Princess Bride. Uh, I love that movie. It's another one of my favorite movies that, that I should watch again. But it was cool watching Spaceballs. I hadn't seen that in forever. Did you know uh, what well, we talked about? It. Uh, Rick Moranis got uh, punched in the face randomly by some dude in New York. Yeah. That was crazy. That was a couple months ago or a month or so ago, I remember. But uh, I remember I saw them in the news. I was like, who would punch Rick Moranis? Nicest guy ever. He's hilarious. Um, but anyway, I asked you a question. Oh, nothing, <laughs> nothing, man. I ain't done shit. You. I have not done jack shit. How many pets do you have now? It was random. I'm trying to keep them straight. I haven't gotten any new ones. 
so you uh, it was the bird, one of the spiders, and then one of your geckos. You and were the frog. And the frog. That's right. Okay. Yeah, so now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh my god. Mm-hmm. I just have two leopard geckos, two tarantulas, um, and some fish. Your oh, axolotl. I, I, I rehomed my axolotl. <gasps> Why? Why? There are a lot of maintenance a lot to take care of, so I guess that's the reason why. Should start putting pics on uh, Instagram. Yeah, okay. I'll get pa- right people are people are begging for him. Oh, I'm yeah. getting messages every day, <laughs> left and right. right. Where are I pages, can't keep up. Pages pets on Instagram. I'm checking every day. There's nothing. Oh my god, I can't keep up with the high demand. Mm-hmm. What about you, bud? Uh, I don't really have anything to talk about either. Uh, this past week was a little blur a little uneventful uh thanksgiving's coming up you got any plans for thanksgiving well my family wants to do thanksgiving Mm -hmm. but they're also like inviting 20 people oh jeez, no no that that's the thing everyone's (sighs) telling people not (sighs) to do i just get chills yeah and i'm kind of like i don't really want to be exposed to covid (laughs) Mm. (laughs) i uh you okay i keep getting chills it's i mean it's not I'm not saying I'm cold. It's just oh, chills. That's strange. Uh, I I don't know if I'm doing anything for Thanksgiving. Um, normally, my mom's family, we all get together. But uh, we haven't really talked about what we're doing. It's probably just going to come and go. And that's that's Prab- okay with me. Perhaps. Um, I'm okay with, uh, you know, just 2020 is a mulligan, you know. Just pretend like it never happened. Uh, I might t- get together with, like, um, my dad and stepmom and see just a few people just a small group of people uh but that's about it no no big gatherings or anything like that um there was one thing i want to talk about oh i saw this uh i saw this last week this is uh on a subreddit called not the onion um and most of the submissions are articles uh, with headlines that sound like they should be from the onion but they're not uh, this is um, brewery launches a new Biden beer described as inoffensive and not too bitter. <laughs> so uh, shortly after he was uh, declared uh, president-elect, a Wisconsin brewery introduced a new beer bearing the name of president-elect Joe Biden. Uh, Biden beer was introduced at Minaqua Brewing Co. by Minaqua by owner Kirk Bangstad. The new beer is set to be available to patrons from 3 p.m. to 6 p.m. on Thursdays, Fridays, and Saturdays. Uh, Bangstad, who is a Biden supporter, describes the beer as a kolsch that is inoffensive and not too bitter. Beer will be sold for $15 in a three-pack and $6 for a 32-ounce can. A three-pack of beer. I never saw a three-pack of beer before. I've never seen a two and a four and then like a six. Yeah, that's strange. I wonder if we get our hands on some. I wonder if it's on Beer Advocate. If someone's uh, rated it. Oh, yeah. Look it up. I cannot... I can't type. I'm so... I'm so out of it. You ever... Um, you ever try to, like, type or, like, text in a dream? Or, like, punch in numbers or do something with a computer? Anything with a computer in a dream before? And you just cannot... I, a lot of the times I wake up and I try and like answer text messages that I get and I just constantly do like spelling errors and then I don't think that I, I try and delete them and I think I did and then I realize I didn't and I hit send. 
<laughs> this is after you wake up, though? Like a little bit after oh. I wake up. I've never tried to do anything <laughs> in my dream like that. But huh. I also don't really remember my dreams as much as you do. Mm-hmm. But it'll be like... That's, that's kind of funny. Like someone will be like, oh my gosh. <laughs> you want some coffee? No. <clears throat> someone will message me and it'll be a conversation that I like fell asleep to and didn't remember to respond to. And I like wake up and they're like, like hey, how are you? And mm-hmm. I'll message back and it'll be like, I'm good. Money symbol zero 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 p p p p p and then like I will be like oh my god I accidentally hit that instead of period so like I'm like delete delete and then I'm just adding more p's. <laughs> you think you're hitting back, but you're hitting more p's, and then you hit send <clears throat> every damn time. Yeah, but I guess it's a thing in in uh, dreams that you can't uh, you, you can't text, you can't type, you can't do things with computers or numbers or anything like that. It just it's not a thing that your brain can comprehend while you're dreaming. Um, same thing when you look at look at yourself in a mirror, um, how you don't see like a representation of yourself or what, whatever. There's a lot of weird things in dreams that uh, that don't work like they're supposed to. Anyway, people don't want to hear us talk about our not weeks. Um, I'll get into the beer for this week. Lay it on me for tornadoes. I picked Tangerine Tornado. You actually got something that had a... Oh, my God! I was very surprised uh, to find this. That's so exciting. Um, first search on uh, Benny's website. I typed in Tornado. <laughs> it was the one and only beer that popped up. Wow. And uh, it's out of stock online, but there were a few Benny's that had it. I drove to the Naperville one off of Ogden and found it. It's by uh, Heretic Brewing and Distilling. Ooh, I've never heard of them. It's very, very small, uh, privately owned um, brewery. And I'll talk about it. It's unknown when Heretic started brewing. Uh, Per Facebook, their first profile picture was uploaded in 2011. So I'm guessing it was sometime around then. Mm -hmm. But they don't have a a date or anything on their uh, website. Hmm. They do have a, a couple paragraphs of information here I'll read. It's founded by Liz, uh, no last names, Liz and Jamil. Uh, J- Jam- Jamil. Jamil. Uh, J-A-M-I-L. I say Jamil. Jamil. It's headquartered at 1052 Horizon Drive, Suite B, in Fairfield, California, 94533. Fiona, stop by and visit them. From their website, it all started with a neighbor sharing a homemade beer. Liz saw how excited Jamil was and brought him a Mr. Uh, bought him a Mr. Beer kit for Christmas. Aww. Oh, are they like a couple? Uh, they're neighbors. Oh, that's so cute. Mm-hmm. Jamil became obsessed with brewing the perfect beer and became a homebrew legend in the process by winning a first place medal in every known beer, mead, and cider style category. Oh I don't my know God. Good for you, Jamil. What year this was. Or that's really whatever, impressive, though. He spent the next 15 years writing about beer with more than 100 articles and 500 hours of podcast on The Brewing Network. That's really cool. Eventually, his passion to brew was too strong and Jamil and Liz decided to take the plunge and open Heretic Brewing Company. That's cool. Liz oversees administrative tasks, taking care of the books and daily operations, and can often be found pouring beer at festivals and fundraisers throughout Northern California, while Jamil leads the brewing and distilling side of the business. Throughout it all, we have been passionate about one thing, quality. Our at-all-cost dedication to quality has enabled us to grow one pint at a time into a respected brewery 
into a respected brewery among our peers and a community hub for our area. Local residents, craft beer and spirits enthusiasts, and industry partners all enjoy the Heretic Taproom. We feature over 20 craft beers on tap, cocktails made with Heretic craft spirits, hard seltzers made with real fruit, cold brew coffee, and traditional cask ales. Guests can also enjoy a variety of comforting pub food and weekly specials provided by the Heretic Kitchen staff. If you live in California, you can order their beer and spirits online for pickup or delivery, and they're also open 2 p.m. to 8 p.m. every day. Um, whatever that time zone is over there. What is that? Mountain t- uh, Pacific time? Pacific, Pacific time. time. So, uh, yeah, really cool story. Two neighbors bringing together their passion for beer. I have never known beer. a neighbor that well. All right. Um, I didn't really dig, in, <laughs> dig into their personal lives or anything like that to no. see it's like if they're a couple or what, but I imagine they're both with their separate i don't know mm. or if they're a couple that's awesome yeah uh, about the beer this 9.0 abv force of nature is packed with juicy tangy tangerines and balanced with a strong but easy drinking blonde ale mm. enjoy it alone or with vanilla ice cream for a creamsicle beer float beer for brunch add oj for an awesome beer mosa or add spirits to make the ultimate beer cocktail that's the description on their website this is a uh, tangerine blonde ale. So blonde ales are a type of pale ale. We've talked about pale ales before. In fact, our first beer, Zombie Dust, was an APA, American Pale Ale. Uh, they exhibit higher proportions of pale malts, resulting in a lighter color, though there are many different types of pale ales with different SRMs and different levels of hops, resulting in different tastes and strengths. Blondales are very pale in color and tend to be clear, crisp, and dry with low to medium bitterness and aroma from hops and some sweetness from malt. Fruitiness may, fruitiness may be perceived and a lighter body from higher carbonation may be noticed. They are in many ways similar to pale lagers, boasting a similar appearance and profile largely due to the fact that traditional blondales were developed to compete with the pale lager market. Uh, Big Wave by Kona. They're married. They're married. I'm guessing that a neighbor gave it to him, like the beer. Okay. And then she saw how excited he was. So she was like, hey, you really like homemade beers. You should make your own beers. But they're married. Aw, that's adorable. That's so, oh my gosh. Go on about Kona. Uh, yeah, Big Wave by Kona, which we're both familiar with. Uh, both uh, think it's a really good beer. I'm interested to see what that's rated on periodically. And Citra by Treehouse are both examples of blonde ales. Uh, this beer uh, is unknown when it was released. It doesn't have a date. They don't do dates on their website, but it is part of their core line of beers. So it's available year-round. 9% ABV, 18 IBUs, and 6 SRM. So it's not bitter at all. Very light. Uh, Beer Advocate gives it a score of 85. Very good. It's ranked number 82 in the American Blonde Ale style, ranked 22,940 overall, and it ha- has an average rating of 3.94. I don't do Beer Advocate reviews. That's your thing. Yeah, you best back off my territory. Um, Big Wave. Big Wave by Kona has a score of 81. Hmm. Just good. I like it. I'll get the beer. I like it. So a very basic um, uh, design in, in can. I let me. Government warning: According to the Surgeon General, 
<laughs> let me uh, let me show you if I can pull their website up here. Yes, show me. Let me show you what um, some of their other beers look like before you crack that open. Okay. Um, so this is what most of the beers look like. They're boring. Yeah, it's just a very. I'm juicier than juicier you. than thou. You can't handle the juice. Oh my god! Easy juice, make America juicy again. Oh my god! <laughs> yeah, some of these are funny. That's just his lager. <laughs> this is a lager. This is our lager. I want it to not be a lager. I want it to be something else, like, <laughs> like a, a double IPA. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I, I kind of appreciate their approach. It's very some of. I mean, some of these can get pretty. What does uh, it say? Monster cookie. Something like that. Yeah. This one sounds good. They don't make this anymore. This is the only beer that they don't um, produce anymore. Mm. Orange You Passionate. No longer available. Um, yeah, some of their labels are pretty basic, basic text, uh, you know, one or two words on it. So I kind of like that. And just a few places had this. My nails are too long. Oh, no. Not much of a smell. Um, what are you talking about? It's very tangerine. I mean, it, well, it's, yeah, it's not. I mean, think about the last couple of beers we had, though. Oh, you could smell it all the way back here, but honestly, yeah. I. Yeah, fruit right away. Mm-hmm. It smells like tangerine. But um, yeah, it doesn't like blow you away, uh, probably because it's a lighter beer. Kind of like, oh, it's a pretty strong tangerine. <laughs> it's nice that um, it's I was at, nice that I was able to get this uh, in Illinois with the brewery being all the way in California. Um and just a few stores had it. I think the Naperville store, Plainfield store, Bolingbroke had it. I don't have as much foam. Hey, good job. Very carbonated. Oh my god, Zach Field is all the way at the top. Very, very carbonated. Every time you do this, you make me so nervous. <laughs> it's okay. I, I exude confidence. It's fine. No, you don't. Um, yeah, very carbonated, very uh, pale yellow color. The foam does not last at all. No foam. Very, uh, what was that, two millimeter head? That one beer that we had? <laughs> it's pretty similar. It's uh, hardly any head on this beer. Very, very carbonated. Mm-hmm. Very bubbly. But the foam really does not last. Yeah. I think it's going to be a decent beer. I don't expect to be blown away by it. Um, I hope uh, the tangerine really cuts through. Um, I just want to say that my beer looks better than your beer right now. It honestly, it does. I, I, I will give you that. So. Oh, you almost spilled. Whoa, that is a lot on the tongue. Tasty. Ooh. I like how the... Oh, you can see there's... Um, there's... Uh, what is that? Pulp? Pulp? Yeah. What was that one beer we had? Was it... Um, Purple Haze? Purple had Haze? Pulp. Yeah. I, th- I mean, that's what it kind of looks like. Maybe it's just tiny bubbles, but... Uh, it tastes... Okay, so let me let me try and put this into words. I like the smell. It is pure tangerine. Very, very yep. aromatic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, aromatic. But on taste, it once it hits the back of your throat, it is the equivalent of if you bit into a piece of the tangerine skin and not the tangerine itself. Yeah, I can see that. Um yeah, the tangerine flavor comes through, but it's not like an overwhelming fruity or sweet tangerine flavor. Um, I taste it more so on the finish. Yeah. Uh, right up front, 
It's super crisp. Oh, it um, is. Yes, definitely. It. Uh, I mean, it tastes like similar blonde ales I've had before, like Big Wave. It's a very similar drinking experience overall. Um, but yeah, you get the tangerine on the on the smell, and then once you're finished drinking it, you can. It definitely kind of does linger. Um, but it is a different sort of tangerine flavor than I was expecting. It's very easy to drink. Mm-hmm. Um, other than once you hit, it's 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 very it's a lot. Like I said on the tongue, it's a lot in the tongue. Like it envelops your tongue with mm-hmm. tangerine. But I'm just kind of like, it, it's honestly the same opinion as Blood of the Unicorn. I'm bored. Yeah, I'm not like wow. I I, I mean I wasn't e- expecting it to blow me away, um, really at all, but. I think it's a tasty beer. It's a good beer. I would I would get it again. Yeah, I wouldn't. Um, to me, it's uh, more of something I would drink maybe spring, end of spring, summer. Um, just a crisp, refreshing. I don't hate it. Fruity but beer. I don't love it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of with you. Yeah. I'm not like this is amazing, and I'm not like this is awful. No. Yeah, definitely somewhere in the middle, but I, I appreciate it. I like it. It's okay. I'm just much more of an optimist than you, I guess. Mm, you're not as picky as I am. Yeah, yeah, that's it. You playing with it? I'm looking at the legs. <laughs> you know how they like describe wine? Yes. Beer. Would you call that legs for beer, though? No. Looking at the stumps. The stumps. <laughs> it does kind of stick to the glass a little bit. You ready to get into it? Uh, sure. All right. Tornadoes. You say... Boil them, mash them, stick them in a stew. Exactly. You say tornado, I say tornado. 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 <laughs> a tornado, tornado, is a violently rotating column of air that is in contact with both the surface of the earth... And a cumulonimbus, a cumulonimbus cloud. I love those clouds. They're my favorite. Cumulonimbus <laughs> Or in rare cases, the base of a cumulus cloud. I know those clouds. I remember... Uh, From school. Yeah, it was like elementary school we learned mm-hmm. about. All the different types of you clouds. Like, we did a project where we like grabbed cotton balls and we had to like yes! make them. I did that I did that too. Like cirrus clouds. <laughs> You're like, make them wispy. Yeah, I remember cumulonimbus. The windstorm is often referred to as a twister, whirlwind, or cyclone. Although the word cyclone is used in meteorology to name a weather system with a low pressure area in the center around which, from an observer looking down toward the surface of the earth, winds blow counterclockwise in the northern hemisphere and clockwise in the southern. Hmm. Tornadoes come in many shapes and sizes, and they are often visible in the form of a condensation funnel. Yep. Originating from the base of a cumulonimbus cloud, with a cloud of rotating debris and dust beneath it. Most tornadoes have wind speeds less than 110 miles per hour, are about 250 feet across, and travel a few miles before dissipating. The most extreme tornadoes can attain wind speeds of more than 300 miles per hour, are more than two miles in diameter, mm-hmm. and stay on the ground for dozens of miles. Mm. Which, um, I'm terrified of extreme weather. Zombies in extreme weather. <laughs> like, that's my two things. Legitimate fear. 
<clears throat> so like uh, I used to have really bad panic attacks when there'd be like tornado warnings. Really? Yeah, it was terrible. My uh, mom is super into tornadoes. She loves uh, intense weather like that. She gets really into like when it rains really bad. Mm-hmm. Um, I think her favorite movie is Twister. Hated it. Too. The scene in the so, barn. Oh, God. <laughs> so uh, her and I, we watched that a few times when I was growing up. And whenever there was like a tornado war- warning, I mean, obviously we would go shelter, but she, you know, she was kind of excited. She enjoyed that kind of stuff. So I ne- I didn't grow up with a fear of it. Terrified. Mm. By the way, um, I didn't mention this before. I probably should have. My entire segment talks about a lot of the records. So like the. I don't know. go into any of that. Okay. So I'm literally just going based off of the science of it. Okay. <sighs> Primarily they are in spring or summer, but can be at any time of year. Really? There are various types of tornadoes, which include the multiple vortex tornado. Which a multiple vortex the, the the multiple vortex tornado is a tornado that contains several um vor- vortices 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 vortex vortices maybe <laughs> revolving around inside of and as part of the main vortex. The only time multiple v words <laughs> may be visible are when the tornado is first forming or when condensation and debris are balanced such that the sub Vortices, vortices are apparent without being obscured. They can add over a hundred miles per hour to the ground, relative wind in a tornado circulation, and are responsible for most cases where narrow arcs of extreme destruction lie right next to weak damage within tornado paths. Another tornado type, what are you doing? Vortices. Oh, vortices. Another tornado type is the land spout which the lamb spout is a term created by atmospheric scientist Howard B. Bluestein in 1985 for a kind of tornado not associated with a mesocyclone. That's a lot of big words. I know. The Colossary of Meteorology defines a land spout as a colloquial expression describing tornadoes occurring within a parent cloud in its growth stage and with its vortis- vorticity, vortis- vorticity, vorticity, <laughs> Originating the, the originating in the boundary. Oh my layer. God, are you okay? <laughs> so tired. Speaking English anymore? The parent cloud does not contain a pre-existing mid-level mesocyclone. The land spout was so named because it looks like a weak Florida Keys water spout over land, and a water spout is another type of tornado. Which sounds a lot like, you know, you can kind of glean what it means, is an intense columnar, 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 columnar vortex, usually appearing as a funnel shaped cloud that occurs over a body of water. Hmm. Some are connected to a a cumulus congestus cloud, which I've never heard of. Didn't study that one. Nope. Some to a cumuloform cloud and some to a cumulonimbus cloud. In the common form, it is a non-supercell tornado over water. While it is often weaker than most of its land counterparts, stronger versions spawned by mesocyclones do occur. Most water spouts do not suck up water. They are small and weak rotating columns of air over water. Hmm. Which, if you've ever looked them up, they are very cool looking. I was interested. Because, <clears throat> uh, I mean, they have to... F- form over water Mm -hmm. they are generally classified as non-supercellular tornadoes that develop over bodies of water but there is disagreement over whether to classify them as true tornadoes 
These spiraling columns of air frequently develop in tropical areas close to the equator and are less common at high latitudes. Other tornado-like phenomena that exist in nature include the gustnado, dust devil, free whirl, and steam devil. Damn, nature, you scary. Right? Truly terrifying. Sorry, we watched the video. Did you say dustnado? Dust devil? Gustnado. 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 And then dust devil. Have you ever seen a fire whirl? Those are freaking insane. I know, right? Let's see if I pull one of those up. Look at that shit. Whew. Find a video of it. It's much more terrifying in video form. Tornadoes occur most frequently in North America, particularly in central and southeastern regions of the United States, colloquially known as Tornado Alley, you suckers that live in Oklahoma. <laughs> Tornadoes occur most frequently in North America. Whoa, where am I? Uh, I reread that, sorry. Yeah, Tornado Alley. Mm -hmm. Southern Africa, Northwestern and Southeast Europe, Western and Southeastern Australia, New Zealand, Bangladesh, and adjacent Eastern India, and Southeastern South America. Tornadoes can be detected before or as they occur, occur, occur through the use of pulse Doppler radar yep. by recognizing patterns in velocity and reflectivity data, such as hook echoes or debris balls, as well as through the efforts of storm spotters. Etymology for it, the word tornado comes from the Spanish word tornado, <laughs> past participle of to turn or to have Torn. That's how they say it in Spanish. In tornado. 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 <laughs> Tornado's opposite phenomena are the widespread straight line. I cannot for the life of me say this. Derechos? 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 I think sure. it's derechos. The term cyclone is used as a synonym for tornado and often aired in the often aired 1939 film The Wizard of Oz. The term oh. twister is also used in that film, along with being the title of the 1996 tornado-related film Twister. Mm -hmm. In the film, Preacher, one of Joe's crew members, calls the strongest kind of tornado the F5, EF5, mm -hmm. the finger of God. Ooh. Due to the F5 having the power to kill people, like God casting his final judgment on them on whenever they are, I'm sorry, on whether they live or die from the tornado. Well. Scary. There are different types of rating scales. Do you go into that? Uh, no, not really. Okay. There are several scales for rating the strength of tornadoes. The Fujita scale. The Vegeta scale. Vegeta. Vegeta. Rates tornadoes by damage caused and has been replaced in some countries by the updated enhanced Fujita scale. An F0 or EF0 tornado, the weakest category, damages trees but not substantial structures. An F5 or EF5 tornado, the strongest category, rips buildings off their foundations and can deform large skyscrapers. Mm -hmm. The similar Toro scale ranges from T0 for extremely weak tornadoes to T11 for the most powerful northern tornadoes. Doppler radar data, photogrammetry, yeah, grammetry, grammetry, hmm. and grout swirl patterns may also be analyzed to determine intensity and assign a rating. Most tornadoes take on the appearance of a narrow funnel, a few hundred yards across with a small cloud of debris near the ground. Tornadoes may be obscured completely by rain or dust. These tornadoes are especially dangerous as even experienced meteorologists might not see them. Tornadoes can appear in many shapes and sizes. 
Small, relatively weak land spouts may be visible only as a small swirl of dust on the ground. Although the, con- the condensation funnel may not extend all the way to the ground, mm-hmm. if associated surface winds are greater than 40 miles per hour, the circulation is considered a tornado. A tornado... <laughs> A tornado with a nearly cylindrical profile and relative low height is sometimes referred to as a stovepipe tornado. Hmm. Large tornadoes, which appear at least as wide as their cloud to ground height, can look like large wedges stuck into the ground and are so and so are known as wedge tornadoes or wedges. I thought it said wedgies for a second. <laughs> <laughs> oh, look at the wedgie. <laughs> look at the wedgie. <laughs> The stovepipe classification is also used for this type of tornado if it is otherwise if it otherwise fits that profile. A wedge can be so wide that it appears to be a block of dark clouds, wider than the distance from the cloud base to the ground. Even experienced storm observers may not be able to tell the difference between a low-hanging cloud and a wedge tornado from a distance. Hmm. Many, but not all, major tornadoes are wedges. Tornadoes in the dissipating stage can resemble narrow tubes or ropes and often curl or twist into complex shapes. These tornadoes are said to be roping out. I'm shooting ropes. (laughs) (laughs) Or becoming a rope tornado. When they rope out, the length of their funnel increases, which forces the winds within the funnel to weaken due to conservation of angular momentum. Oh, of course. Yes, of course. Mm -hmm. Conservation of annual momentum. Multiple vortex tornadoes can appear as a family of swirls circling, circling, circling. I'm not okay. (laughs) Circling a common center, or they may be completely obscured by condensation, dust, and debris appearing to be a single funnel. In the United States, tornadoes are around 500 feet across on average and travel on the ground for five miles. I burp again. However, there is a wide range of tornado sizes. Weak tornadoes or strong yet dissipating tornadoes can be exceedingly narrow, sometimes only a few feet or a couple meters across. Mm-hmm. One tornado was reported to have damage have a damage path only seven feet. Huh. Right? <laughs> <laughs> On the other end of the spectrum, wedge tornadoes can have a damage path, path damage path. <laughs> a mile wide or more. Or tornado that affected Halem, Nebraska on May 22nd, 2004 was up to 2.5 miles wide at the ground. Jeez. And a tornado in El, Ren- oh, sorry. El Reno, Oklahoma on May, Oklahoma, those damn suckers, on May 31st, 2013 was approximately 2.6 miles wide, the widest on record. Wow. In terms of path link, the tri-state tornado, which affected parts of Missouri, Illinois, and Indiana. Do you go over that? Uh, I do. Okay, skipping. Tornadoes can have a wide range of colors, depending on the environment in which they form. Those that form in dry environments can be nearly invisible, marked only by swirling debris at the base of the funnel. Condensation funnels that pick up little or no debris can be gray to white. While traveling over a body of water, as a water spout, tornadoes can turn white or even blue. Mm -hmm. Slow-moving funnels, which ingest a considerable amount of debris and dirt, are usually darker, taking on the color of debris. Tornadoes in the Great Plains can turn red because of the reddish tint of the soil, and tornadoes in mountainous areas can travel over snow-covered ground turning white. That's badass. Isn't it? Lighting conditions are a major factor in the appearance of a tornado. A tornado which is backlit viewed with the sun behind it, appears very dark. The same tornado, viewed with the sun at the observer's back, may appear gray or brilliant white. 
Tornadoes, which occur near the time of a sunset, can be many different colors, appearing in hues of yellow, orange, and pink. Oh, pretty. Yeah, can you look that up? (laughs) Dust kicked up by the winds of the parent thunderstorm, heavy rain and hail, and the darkness of night are all factors that can reduce the visibility of tornadoes. Tornadoes occurring in these conditions are especially dangerous since only weather radar observations or possibly the sound of an approaching tornado serve as any warning to those in the storm's path. Most significant tornadoes form under the storm's updraft base, which is rain-free, making them visible. Also, most tornadoes occur in the late afternoon when the bright sun can penetrate even the thickest clouds. Nighttime tornadoes are often illuminated by frequent lightning. There is mounting evidence, including Doppler on wheels, mobile radar images, and eyewitness accounts that most tornadoes have a clear, calm center with extremely low pressure, Mm -hmm. akin to the eye of tropical cyclones. Lightning is said to be the source of illumination for those who claim to have seen the interior of a tornado. You found it? I'm trying to figure out how to get it. Uh, Tornadoes normally rotate cyclonically cyclonically? when viewed from above. This is counterclockwise in the northern hemisphere and clockwise in the summer. Southern, not summer. Mm -hmm. While large-scale storms always rotate cyclonically due to the Coriolis effect, Thunderstorms and tornadoes are so small that the direct influence of the Coriolis effect is unimportant, as indicated by their large Rosby numbers. Rosby? Rosby. Supercells and tornadoes rotate cyclonically in numerical simulations even when the Coriolis effect is neglected. Low-level mesocyclones and tornadoes owe their rotation to complex processes within the supercell and ambient environment. Approximately 1% of tornadoes rotate in an anti-cyclonic direction in the northern hemisphere. Typically, systems as weak as landspouts and gust tornadoes can rotate anticyclonically, and usually only those which form on the anticyclonic shear side of the descending rear flank downdraft, or RFD. Which, let me, what? That's, that's me the, the entire time you're talking. <laughs> 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 the rear flank drown da- downdraft, or RFD, is a region of dry air uh, wrapping around the back of a mesocyclone in a supercell thunderstorm. These areas of descending air are thought to be essential in the production of many supercellular tornadoes. On rare occasions, anticyclonic tornadoes form an association with the meso-anticyclone, or an anticyclonic supercell, in the same manner as the typical cyclonic tornado. Or as a companion tornado, either as a satellite tornado or associated with anticyclonic eddies within a supercell. The excessive blinking. <laughs> it doesn't probably doesn't help that I'm very tired too. <clears throat> Tornadoes emit widely on the acoustic spectrum, and the sounds are caused by multiple mechanisms. Various sounds of tornadoes have been reported mostly related to familiar sounds for the witness and generally some variation of a whooshing roar. Popularly reported sounds include a freight train, rushing rapids or waterfall, a Mm. nearby jet engine, or a combination of these. Many tornadoes are not audible from much distance. The nature of and the propagation distance of the audible sound depends on atmospheric conditions and topography. Topography. (laughs) (laughs) So tired. The winds of the tornado vortex and of constituent turbulent eddies, as well as airflow interaction with the surface and debris, contribute to the sounds. Interesting. Interesting. Funnel clouds also produce sounds. 
Funnel clouds and small tornadoes are reported as whistling, whining, humming, or the buzzing of innumerable bees. Bees! (laughs) Or electricity. Whining tornadoes. Or, (laughs) I'm gonna get your car! (laughs) Or more or less, harmonic. Whereas many tornadoes are reported as a continuous deep rumbling or an irregular sound of noise. Since many tornado does to do does, that's a mess. I'm so tired. Many tornadoes are audible only when very near. Sound is not to be thought of as a reliable warning signal for a tornado. Right, just like a train sound is not a reliable <laughs> warning signal. Sure. Tornadoes are also not the only source of such sounds in severe thunderstorms. Any strong, damaging wind, a severe hail volley, or continuous thunder in any thunderstorm may produce a roaring sound. Mm -hmm. Tornadoes also produce identifiable, inaudible, infrasonic signatures. Jeez. Unlike audible signatures, tornadic signatures have been isolated due to the long-distance propagation of low-frequency sound. Efforts are ongoing to develop tornado prediction and detection devices with additional value in understanding tornado morphology, dynamics, and creation. Tornadoes also produce a detectable seismic signature, and research continues on isolating it and understanding the process. I'm trying to get my brain to catch up with me. I'm just I'm thinking about um, guys that like... Um, I shouldn't say guys, people that do this for their uh, profession. Like like storm chasers? Yeah. Like just like know everything there is to know about tornadoes and they're still discovering more things and they're like developing further research to like better detect things and track things and yeah. study them. I think that's just, that's one of the coolest things. It's wild. Hmm. Tornadoes often develop from a class of thunderstorms known as supercells. Supercells contain mesocyclones, an area of organized rotations a few miles up in the atmosphere, Mm -hmm. usually one to six miles across. Most intense tornadoes, anywhere from an F3 to an F5, develop from supercells. In addition to tornadoes, very heavy rain, frequent lightning, strong wind gusts, and hail are common in such storms. Most tornadoes from supercells follow a recognizable life cycle, which begins when increasing rainfall drags with it an area of quickly, quickly, I was going well, (laughs) quickly descending air known as the rear flank downdraft, which we went over. This downdraft, I just want my brain to work. (laughs) This downdraft accelerates as it approaches the ground and drags the supercells rotating mesocyclone towards the ground with it. So it's like, I'm going to take this with me. Yeah, it pulls it down. Yeah. As the mesocyclone lures below the cloud base, it begins to take in cool, moist air from the downdraft region of the storm. The convergence of warm air in the updraft and cool air cause a, a rotating cloud, wall cloud to form. The RFD also focuses the mesocyclone's base, causing it to draw air from a smaller and smaller area on the ground. As the updraft intensifies, it creates an area of low pressure at the surface. This pulls the focused mesocyclone down in the form of a visible condensation funnel. As the funnel descends, the RFD also reaches the ground, fanning outward and creating a gust front that can cause severe damage a considerable distance from the tornado. 
Usually the funnel ground, um, cloud begins causing damage on the ground, becoming a tornado within a few minutes of the RFD reaching the ground. Mm -hmm. Initially, the tornado has a good source of warm, moist air flowing inward to power it, and it grows until it reaches the mature stage. This can last from a few minutes to more than an hour. And during that time, a tornado often causes the most damage and in rare cases can be more than one mile across. Hmm. The low pressured atmosphere at the base of the tornado is essential to the endurance of the system. Meanwhile, the RFD, now an area of cool surface winds, begins to wrap around the tornado, cutting off the inflow of warm air, which previously fed the tornado. As the RFD completely wraps around and chokes off the tornado's air supply, the vortex begins to weaken, becoming thin and rope-like. This is the dissipating stage, often lasting no more than a few minutes, after which the tornado ends. During this stage, the shape of the tornado becomes highly influenced by the winds of the parent storm and can be blown into fantastic patterns. Even though the tornado is dissipating, it is still capable of causing damage. Mm -hmm. The storm is contracting into a rope-like tube, and due to conservation of angular momentum, winds right. can increase at this point. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, you brought it up again. I, I know all about it. So. <laughs> Do you want me to go into it? <laughs> no, I mean, I, I know. I know about it. Conservation, <laughs> angular momentum. Oh, tell me about it. Yeah. yeah. Tell me about well, it. Well, it's, it's a way to conserve uh, momentum that uh, often is uh, perceived as angular. So just uh, uh -huh. just trying to conserve that. A rotational you know. analog of Newton's third law of motion. Oh yeah, yeah, yep. Yeah. Newton. <laughs> I know. I know Newton. I know Newton. I know the guy. The conservation of angular momentum is used in analyzing central force motion. If the net force on somebody is directed always towards some point, the center, then there is no torque on the body with respect to the center. As all of the force is directed along the radius vector, and none is perpendicular to the radius. Perpendicular. <laughs> <laughs> Mathematically, torque, T equals R times F equals zero. Because in this case, R and F are parallel vectors. Oh, God, I'm doing math in my head now. Therefore, the angular momentum of the body about the center is constant. This is the cause, I'm sorry, this is the case with gravitational attraction in the orbits of planets and satellites. All makes sense to me. <laughs> I don't know if you understood, but I got it. As the tornado enters the dissipating stage, its associated mesocyclone often weakens as well. As the rear flank downdraft cuts off the inflow powering it, sometimes in intense supercells, tornadoes can develop cyclically, cyclically, mm -hmm. as the first mesocyclone and associated tornado dissipate. The storm's inflow may be concentrated into a new area closer to the center of the storm and possibly feed a new mesocyclone. If a new mesocyclone develops... The cyclone may start again, producing one or more new tornadoes. Occasionally, the old mesocyclone and the new mesocyclone produce a new tornado at the same time. Aww. a baby. Hooking up. Although this is widely, this is a widely accepted theory for how most tornadoes form, live, and die, it does not explain the formation of smaller tornadoes such as land spouts, long-lived tornadoes, or tornadoes with multiple vortices. 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 These each have different mechanisms which influence their development. However, most tornadoes follow a pattern similar to this one. There's just a lot of information. It's a lot, man. I'm also being picky on like what I want to share. Mm. 
The United States has the most tornadoes of any country, which I find very interesting. Nearly four times more than estimated in all of Europe, excluding water spouts. Oh, wow. This is mostly due to the unique geography of the continent. It's because we're the best. Okay. North America is a large continent that extends from the tropics north into Arctic areas. Oh, yeah. We're so massive. And has no major east-west mountain range oh, to block... Okay, why do you keep talking? <laughs> to block airflow between these two areas. In the middle latitudes, where most tornadoes of the world occur, the Rocky Mountains block moisture and buckle... The atmospheric flow. Well, let me say that. Didn't make any sense. The atmosphere. <laughs> Where most tornadoes of the world occur, the Rocky Mountains block moisture and buckle the atmospheric flow, uh-huh. forcing drier air at mid levels of the troposphere due to downsloped winds and causing the formation of a low pressure area. Downwind to the east of the mountains, increased westerly flow of the Rockies forced the formation of a dry line. When the flow aloft is strong, while the Gulf of Mexico fuels abundant low-level moisture in the southerly flow to its east. This unique topography allows for frequent collisions. I'm having a hard time and I need your support. (laughs) Frequent topography. Okay, you know what? You're doing great. I'm following. I understand every word. Every word you've said so far. Hey, what's the downdraft? (laughs) It's what, you know, drafts down instead of up. The draft is going this way. You weren't paying attention at all. Paige, what's a downdraft? (laughs) Interesting. You tell me what a downdraft is. That's interesting. (laughs) Don't try and deflect this off to me. (laughs) (laughs) I lost where I was. This unique topography allows for frequent collisions of warm and cold air, the conditions that breed strong, long-lived tornadoes throughout the year. A large portion of these tornadoes form in an area of the central United States known as Tornado Alley. This area extends into Canada, particularly Ontario and the Prairie Provinces. Although southeast Quebec, the interior of British Columbia, and western New Brunswick are also tornado-prone. Or any of those places are. Tornadoes also occur across northeastern Mexico. The United States averages about 1,200 tornadoes per year. Wow. Followed by Canada. Canada. (laughs) (laughs) What is wrong with me? Canada. I'm moving to Canada. (laughs) Don't include that. (laughs) Followed by Canada averaging 62 reported per year. What a fucking jump. (laughs) 62. Yeah. 1,200 for the U.S. and then 62. <laughs> they ain't got nothing on us. NOAA's has a higher average, 100 per year in Canada. Hmm. The Netherlands has the highest average number of recorded tornadoes per area of any country, more than 20 or 0.001313 per square mile annually. Followed by the UK around 33 or 0.00035 per square mile per year. Although those are of low intensity, briefer, and cause minor damage. Tornadoes kill an average of 179 people per year in Bangladesh. The most in the world. 
Reasons for this include the region's high population density, poor construction quality, and lack Mm. of tornado safety knowledge. Mm. Other areas of the world that have frequent tornadoes include South Africa, the uh, La Plata Basin, I think. La La Plata? La Plata. Portions of Europe, Australia, and New Zealand, and Far Eastern Asia. Tornadoes are most common in spring and least common in winter, but tornadoes can occur any time of the year that favorable conditions occur. Mm. Spring and fall experience peaks of activity as those are in the seasons when stronger winds, wind shear, and atmospheric instability are present. Mm-hmm. Tornadoes are focused in the right front quadrant of landfalling tropical cyclones, which tend to occur in the late summer and autumn. Tornadoes can also be spawned as a result of eye wall mesovortices. With, um, sorry, which persist until landfall, which I'm not really sure what those are, so I'm just going to quickly look at that. Hmm. Oh, okay. They're small-scale rotational features found in the eye walls of intense tropical cyclones. Okay. That makes more sense. This episode sucks. <laughs> <laughs> got a lot. Of, <laughs> it's got a lot of uh, words in it. That's why you go for the ones that are interesting, not the stuff that includes science. That I'm trying to... Uh, use context clues to figure out what everything means. <sighs> Give me a minute. I need to breathe. Tornado occurrence is highly dependent on the time of day because of solar heating. Worldwide, most tornadoes occur in the late afternoon between 3 p.m. and 7 p.m. local time with a peak near 5 p.m. Destructive tornadoes can occur at any time of day. Do you go over the Gainesville tornado? I think so. Well, it's just the time of day that it occurred. Okay, so the Gainesville tornado of 1936, one of the deadliest tornadoes in history, occurred at night, 8.30 a.m. local time. The United Kingdom has the highest incidence of tornadoes per unit area of land in the world. Unsettled conditions and weather fronts transverse the British Isles um, at all times of the years and are responsible for spawning the tornadoes, which consequently form at all times of the year. The United Kingdom has at least 34 tornadoes per year and possibly as many as 50. Most tornadoes in the United Kingdom are weak, but they are occasionally destructive. For example, the Birmingham tornado of 2005 and the London tornado of 2006 both registered F2 on the Fujita scale and both caused significant damage and injury. Mm-hmm. Though tornadoes can strike in an instant, there are precautions and preventative measures that can be taken to increase the chances of survival. I just feel like if we're going to talk about it, we should talk about how to live through it. Hmm. Authorities, such as the Storm Prediction Center, advise having a predetermined plan should a tornado warning be issued. When an warning, a warning is issued, going for a basement or an interior first floor room of a sturdy building greatly increases chances of survival. In tornado-prone areas, many buildings have underground storm cellars, which have saved thousands of lives. Mm-hmm. Some countries have meteorologic agencies which distribute tornado forecasts and increase levels of alert of a possible tornado, such as tornado watches and warnings. We have those. We do, in the United States and Canada. Weather radios provide an alarm when a severe weather advisory is issued for the local area, mainly available only in the United States. Unless the tornado is far away and highly visible, meteorologists advise that drivers park their vehicles far to the side of the road so as not to block emergency traffic. And find a sturdy shelter. If no sturdy shelter is nearby, getting low in a ditch is the next best option. Mm -hmm. Highway overpasses are one of the worst places to take shelter during a tornado, as the constricted space can be subject to increased wind speed and funneling of debris underneath the overpass. Mm -hmm. We'll go into the research for it then. Okay. 
Meteorology is a relatively young science, and the study of tornadoes is newer still. Although researched for about 140 years, and intensively for around 60 years, there are still aspects of tornadoes which remain a mystery. Scientists have a fairly good understanding of the development of thunderstorms and mesocyclones, and the meteorological conditions conductive to their formations. Mm -hmm. However, the step from supercell, or other respective formative processes, to tornado genesis... And the prediction of tornadic versus non-tornadic mesocyclones is not yet well known and is the focus of much research. Also under study are the low-level mesocyclones and the stretching of low-level vorticities. Mm-hmm. Vorticities. Vorticity. Vorticities. <laughs> <laughs> which tightens into a tornado. In particular, what are the processes and what is the relationship of the environment and the (laughs) convective storm? I wish you had looked at my face when I made that sound. (laughs) You're saying too many words. I'm like getting (laughs) tongue-tied. Intense tornadoes have been observed forming simultaneously with a mesocyclone aloft rather than succeeding mesocyclone genesis and some intense tornadoes have occurred without a mid-level mesocyclone. I'm scared. (laughs) In particular, the role of downdrafts, particularly the rear flank downdraft and the role of baroclinic boundaries are intense areas of study. Reliably predicting tornado intensity and longevity remains a problem, as do details affecting characteristics of a tornado during its life cycle and tornado. I'm sorry, tornado lysis, lysis, It doesn't. There's, I would think it would say tornado analysis, but it doesn't. Tornado lysis, lysis, tornado. It literally is tornado, and then L Y S I S. It's like they combine the two words, right? Tornado analysis. Other rich areas of research are tornadoes associated with mesovortices, within linear thunderstorms, structures, and within tropical cyclones. Scientists still do not know the exact mechanisms by which most tornadoes form. And occasional tornadoes still strike without a tornado warning issue. I'm sorry, tornado warning being issued. Hmm. Analysis of observations, including both stationary and mobile, which is passive, I'm sorry, surface and aerial, and in situ and remote sensing, which is passive and active. Instruments generates new ideas and refines existing notions. Numerical modeling also provides new insights as observations and new discoveries are integrated into our physical understanding and then tested in computer simulations, which validate Mm -hmm. new notions, as well as produce entirely new theoretical findings, many of which are otherwise unattainable. The pace of research is partially, I'm sorry, partly constrained by the number of observations that can be taken. Gaps in information about the wind pressure and moisture content throughout the local atmosphere and the computing power available for simulation. Solar storms similar to tornadoes have been recorded, but it's unknown how closely related they are to their terrestrial counterparts. I'm finally done. I'm free. <laughs> Dobby is a free elf! <sighs> Sweet Christ on a cracker. <clears throat> That may have been the longest segment of any episode you've had. <laughs> it was just a lot of content. I don't know. Sharps was pretty long. Oh, yeah. Um, it was all very interesting. No, uh, it wasn't. But No, it was. I was trying to follow. Um, so much. That's a lot of words. <laughs> a lot of science goes into tornadoes. Um, a lot of uh, meteorology just has a lot of 
I'm going to chug this beer and then take a nap on your couch. <laughs> okay. A lot of uh, strange concepts that uh, not every, you know, every man wouldn't be familiar with. And every person. You're not just any person. <laughs> <laughs> when you uh, started talking about uh, mesocyclones, mm-hmm. um, you reminded me of this app that I have on my phone that I would recommend. Oh, cool. It is not free, however. It does, oh. uh, and it's it's not like one of those cheap 99 cent apps. It's I think it's like $10. Whoa. Um, but this app is called Radar Scope. And <laughs> that's the sound of Paige's jacket. <laughs> For uh, anyone that was curious. It's called Radar Scope. You can get it on, um, I don't know if it's on Windows, but it's on uh, Apple computers, um, Galaxy uh, phones, and Apple uh, iPhones. Uh, pretty sure it's $10 last time I checked, but it is pr- probably the most accurate uh, weather radar app that you could own. Um, I used to volunteer for uh, my town's EMA before I moved up here and this was uh, one of the apps that uh, they recommended everyone get we had a class that actually talked about severe weather and tornadoes and i was trying to remember a lot of the stuff that i learned about stuff like shelf clouds and differences in pressure and we were actually actually being trained to become um weather spotters in a way that was one of our responsibilities um and the app helps a lot um not only does it show you uh, the normal, what you would uh, think of when you someone says Doppler radar, you hear, uh, you see like the green and red and, you know, the blobs that go across. Sure. Um, it also shows uh, super resolution velocity. So it'll, it'll show you uh, how quickly the winds are moving or how quickly a storm system is moving. Um, it shows you... Um, one of the things I like to use is storm relative velocity. So relative to the whole storm system, it shows you, um, I guess, different speeds within that storm as well. And that's something that spotters use to detect the formation of uh, new mesocyclones and new potentially hazardous uh, systems. Uh, it's the difference in pressure, Um when you've got a storm coming towards and adjacent to it, uh, the winds going uh, away in the other direction. Um, and if you see those those two things happening, that would indicate the potential of a severe storm. So it's got a lot of cool different layers that you can you can view. Um, it uses the uh, local um, Doppler radar that's in your area. It works all over the country. Um, you can view different radars uh, in different states. You can view storm systems all over the state, too. Um, and it does show uh, in particularly dangerous storms. It'll show you those mesocyclones on the radar as they're happening in real time. And it shows you approximately, okay, what time they're supposed to reach your area, um, how dangerous it's expected to be, things like that. So. I use this uh, whenever we have particularly severe weather. I'll pull up radar scope, and it is very useful. Um, if you're into that stuff, if you're into storms, or if you want to be a weather spotter or storm spotter or whatever, uh, radar scope is a cool app. There's my plug. So, uh, as I mentioned, oh I God. go into a few different records. I, I give... My hoodie wrote up, so now I have a boob pocket. <laughs> Look at that. A little boot pocket. 
I talk about some records. Um, I talk about which I'm very interested in the records because yeah. I do like learning about that stuff. It's it's interesting. Uh, the tri-state tornado. I touch on a couple myths. I touch on, and there's like a story or two in here too. So. Um, there are a seemingly endless amount of tornado cases, records, and accounts. I'll talk about a few notable ones and share some cool facts and myths. In August 1939, a tornado ripped through a small town in Kansas. A girl recounted her experience with the tornado and how it affected her, her family, and the town she lived in. She was no more than 12 at the time. She recalls being terrified because she was unable to locate her family members as she witnessed the storm approach. She later found out that her aunt and uncle were able to take shelter in a storm cellar while she attempted to take shelter in her bedroom. The tornado ripped apart buildings and carried away livestock, and she witnessed the destruction from her bedroom window. The last thing she remembered was the window of the bedroom flying in, striking her, and knocking her unconscious. She miraculously survived the storm and had apparently suffered some kind of coma, but was relieved to see her family uh, standing safe around her as she woke up. She's extremely lucky to be alive, considering the damage done to the rest of the town, and she's quoted as saying, in response to the ordeal, there's no place like home. The record for... (laughs) I'm watching a video of a tornado sucking up cows. Oh my gosh. I know it's going to be so sad. The record for the most tornadoes in a single 24-hour period goes to goes to oh. the 2011 super outbreak with 360 total reported tornadoes resulting in 324 deaths. Super outbreak? Uh what year? Uh 2011. 2011. So this is April 25th through the 28th, 2011. Um, Poor cows. 360 reported tornadoes. I have a bunch of photos, and I should have had these pulled up. Hold on. Yeah, you really should have. Uh, this is the storm system. Oh, there goes a cow. That resulted oh, in those. Oh, away, cows. Oh, no. Oh, no, 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 no. I can't watch anymore. It's so sad. <laughs> Whoa. That's the storm system. That's apocalyptic looking. Yeah, it's a, it's a lot of storm right there. Okay, back to the cows. <laughs> oh, run away, cows. Uh, It was one of the largest, costliest, and one of the deadliest outbreaks ever recorded. It affected Alabama and Mississippi the most severely, but also produced destructive tornadoes in Arkansas, Georgia, Tennessee, and Virginia. Uh, Many of these states declared states of emergency, and President Barack Obama granted a federal emergency declaration for the state of Alabama, giving federal assistance to the affected regions. Hmm. More than 300 power transmission towers were destroyed, caused, uh, caused the nuclear power plant and fossil plant to shut down, and a curfew to be imposed in the city of Huntsville, Alabama. This is what some of the towers look like. Oh, my God. Yeah, it just completely 180'd them. What? Uh, bent them over. You would have thought that they would have, like, taken them out of the ground. Not bent them. Yeah. Uh, I Maybe don't know. Maybe they're just that firmly rooted? That's crazy. That's weird. Um, 3% of power was restored on the morning of May 1st. Mm-hmm. Um, against the, the tornadoes ended on the 28th of April. Uh, so 3% of power morning of may 1st and only localized outages remained eight days after the storm so most people were out of power for about a week a week or two the record for the highest winds observed in a tornado goes to the 1999 bridge creek tornado this was may 3rd 99 in bridge creek oklahoma i think you may have talked about it suckers in oklahoma uh minimum (laughs) recorded wind speeds were about 294 miles an hour average speed of 301 a Doppler on wheels, which is this thing. 
You see those in the movie Twister, if you've seen that. I fucking hate that movie. <clears throat> well, doesn't like you. It was situated near the tornado, and it measured winds of 302 plus or minus 22 miles an hour. Did that movie tell you that? or you No, just... this is this is the Oklahoma. No, I meant movie. about them saying they don't like me. <laughs> oh, yeah. It says in the film, actually, about halfway through. <gasps> they don't like Paige. Uh, measured 302 uh, plus or minus 22 miles an hour momentarily in a small area inside the funnel, approximately 330 feet above the ground. These are the highest wind speeds observed on Earth ever. Crazy. The record for most damaging slash costliest tornado goes to 2011 Joplin, Missouri. Um, I think I have a photo. Damn. That's Joplin. That ain't Joplin anymore. Not anymore. And then uh, that was some of the bigger buildings. Mm. I want to see the effects of a tornado on an actual, like, skyscraper. Uh, I might have a... No, I had it in... Uh... Like in an actual metropolitan area, you know? Right. Um... Not that I would hope for that to happen, but it's just kind of something I would like to see, you know, how it affects an actual, like, huge structure like that. This is um, Fort Worth, Texas. It's kind of small, but... Mm. I mean, the building's still standing but pretty much every window is shattered Shattered. and broken uh so that tornado in joplin was on may 22nd 2011 it was rated an ef5 and lasted 38 minutes approximately 2.8 billion dollars in damage adjusted to 2019 that's almost 3.2 billion dollars this tornado was significant because it highlighted a few, um, sorry, a new form of disaster response using social media. This type of disaster response is now known as social media emergency management. A um, uh, many public citizen-led Facebook groups and websites coordinated information, needs, and offers. The results were so effective that the project became a finalist in the 2011 Mashable Awards for Best Social Good Cause campaign. Huh. The record for the longest distance carried by a tornado goes to Matt Suter. Snooter. Matt Suter. 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 Out of uh, Fordland, Missouri. I mean, he was out of Fordland, Missouri. He's probably somewhere else now because the tornado, because um, it, it took him uh, away from his town. But on March 12th, 2006, he was sucked out of the trailer he was in at the time. Carried about 1,307 feet. That's wild. Just 13 feet shy of a quarter mile. And set down with minor injuries in a field far from his home. So he's still alive yep. to talk about it. Good old Matt. That's crazy. Quarter mile. Uh, I'm going to talk about the tri-state tornado now. This is yes. the most extreme, quote-unquote yes. extreme tornado. It holds the records for longest path length, mm-hmm. 219 miles. Wild. Longest duration, about 3.5 hours. Fastest forward speed for a significant tornado anywhere on Earth, 73 miles an hour. And deadliest single tornado in U.S. history, 695 fatalities. That's insane! 2,027 injuries. Holy fucking shit! The uh, deadliest, actually, deadliest tornado in the world was uh, the Dulata Per Seturia tornado in Bangladesh. On April 26th, 18, I'm sorry, 1989, the death toll is estimated at 1,300, injuring approximately 12,000. Well, we talked about that, why Bangladesh has such a high death rate. Right. That makes sense. So, 
On March 18th, 1925, the F5 tornado, uh, tri-state tornado, swept through southeastern Missouri, through southern Illinois, and into southwestern Indiana. That's the path of the tornado that it took. That's crazy. All the way across Illinois. Uh, In Missouri, the tornado touched down around 1 p.m. CST, crossing through five counties, seven towns, and two schools as it headed towards the Illinois border. The tornado crossed the Mississippi River before hitting the town of Gorham around 2.30 p.m. It essentially obliterated the entire town as almost every structure was leveled or swept away, even pulling railroad tracks out of the ground. Another school, Longfellow School, was uh, also struck. That's Longfellow School. Mm, Goodbye. After traveling between... Wasn't... Wasn't the um, Plainfield Central School, down, like right by downtown Plainfield, destroyed by a tornado? Yes. I'm positive I, it I'm was. I'm pretty sure it was that school, I wonder yeah. what category it was. Plainfield Central. Yeah, the tornado swept through Plainfield. That's right. Tornado. 1990 Plainfield Tornado. Yep. 29 people and injured 355. It was an F5. The only F5 tornado to strike the Chicago area. It's also the only F5 tornado ever recorded in August in the United States. Hmm. 310 miles per hour. Plainfield High School. Yeah. Yeah, Central. Central Campus. That's where my girl, uh, my uh, my sister went to school. Killed three people, including a science teacher and two maintenance workers. Wild. Yeah, they had to completely rebuild the campus. That was it. Oh, yeah. Crazy. Forgot about that. Um, After traveling between opposite borders of southern Illinois, it entered Indiana, completely demolishing the town of Griffin, where not a single structure was untouched by the storm. That's Griffin. Mm. Uh, It finally dissipated around 4.38 p.m., uh, 2.5 miles south-southeast of Petersburg. Three states, 14 counties, and more than 19 communities, four of which were effectively effaced, uh, several of these and other rural areas actually never recovered, were in the path of the tornado. Approximately 15,000 homes and nine schools were destroyed, and total damage was estimated at $16.5 million in 1925 dollars. Adjusted for inflation, this is $1.4 billion dollars. In addition to the dead and injured, thousands were left without shelter or food. Fires erupted, growing to conflagrations in some places, exacerbating the damage. Looting and theft, notably of the property of the dead, was reported. Recovery was generally slow, with the event leaving a lasting blow to the region. The tri-state tornado was part of a larger tornado outbreak, which generated several other destructive tornadoes in Tennessee, Kentucky, and Indiana on the same day, as well as a significant as well as significant tornadoes in Alabama and Kansas, including the additional tornadoes that day. At least 747 people were killed, and more than 2,298 were injured. This makes the tri-state tornado outbreak the deadliest tornado outbreak. Uh, March 18th. The deadliest tornado day, and 1925, the deadliest tornado year in U.S. history. And then finally, some tornado myths. Mm. Um, This one's about the safest location in a building. Ooh, okay. The myth is... The bathroom? (laughs) 
well, laundry room. Since tornadoes and the debris they carry always travel in a northeasterly direction, the northeast or east part of a structure was the least safe and should be avoided when seeking shelter. Uh, when in fact this section of a house, uh, I'm sorry, the section of a house in the direction of a tornado's approach is actually the least safe. So the side that faces the tornado it gets essentially struck by the tornado first. Official advice is to seek shelter in an interior room on the lowest floor of a building under a staircase, I-beam, or sturdy piece of furniture. Uh, it's actually an additional myth that all tornadoes move southwest to northeast. They don't all move that direction. Most of them do, but not all of them. Yeah. Uh, this one's about opening windows to reduce damage. Oh. Uh, which I've heard about before. Uh -huh. uh, myth is tornadoes do most of their damage due to the lower atmospheric pressure at the center of the tornado, which causes the house to explode outward. Opening windows helps equalize that pressure. That's not true. Uh, even in the most violent tornadoes, there's only a pressure drop of about 10%. Mm -hmm. And this pressure can be equalized in a matter of seconds. And windows usually break first anyway. So yeah. that's it's just bound to happen. Some people tell you to like tape up your windows or something. Or is that just in hurricanes? Oh, yeah, something like that with, like, making an axe or something yeah, 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 on yeah. the windows. I think I it's know. just to make it easier to, for you to clean up the glass. Mm. Um, so you just have it, like, stuck to the tape, and you just take the tape. Or maybe to prevent, like, from them forest shattering fires? inside. Yeah, forest <laughs> fires. Um, opening windows actually waste time that could be spent seeking shelter. Right. Uh, you talked about this one, using a highway overpass as a shelter. Yeah, please uh, don't. The myth is that several documented cases of people surviving underneath an overpass exist uh when in fact they offer very little protection uh you talked about you know they're pretty much out in the open a lot of debris can go underneath them uh but they are better than nothing if no better shelter is available in the face of imminent danger so i guess if you're out in the middle of nowhere and there happens to be an overpass and there's no ditches or anything like that around go ahead um this one's about escaping tornadoes in, in cars mm-hmm and the myth is that cars can travel faster than the average tornado, which is true. So it's better to escape while you can. When in fact, structures are safer than trying to escape in vehicles. Cars can be heavily damaged or even thrown by even the weakest of tornadoes. You're also exposing yourself to uh, potential hazards caused by supplemental storms. So it's likely going to be thunderstorming, potential flooding. The roads are probably going to be busy uh, to begin with. So uh, there's been many traffic jams reported in uh, the face of storms. Um, emergency vehicles need to get through, so you're just blocking them anyway. You're uh, just a big inconvenience. Yeah, it's better ju to just stay home and try to seek shelter at home. This one's about the association of size with intensity. Uh, the myth is that larger tornadoes are more dangerous. When in fact, no solid evidence uh, supports this. Some small rope-like tornadoes, which you talked about, um, tra traditionally thought of as weak, have been among the strongest in history. Uh, this one talks about them uh, appearing to reach the ground, whether they reach the ground or not. Uh, the myth is that if a funnel doesn't reach the ground, then it cannot cause significant damage. That's not true. Even if tornado's ca uh, condensation funnel which you also talked about, doesn't appear to reach the ground, violent surface winds can still cause damage. Uh, spotters should keep sight of swirling debris directly under any visible funnel. And this last one uh, talks about downtown areas. The myth is that large cities cannot be struck by tornadoes. Uh, in fact, more than 100 tornadoes have been reported to strike downtown areas of large cities. Many cities have been struck twice or more, 
and a few, including uh, Lubbock, Texas, uh, Regina, Saskatchewan, St. Louis, Missouri, Topeka, Kansas, and London, England, have been struck by violent tornadoes at four or stronger. Tornadoes may uh, seem rare in downtown areas because downtown areas cover such a small geographical area. If a tornado comes near a city, it will usually strike outside of the downtown area more often. The misconception does have a small basis in truth, however. Research has been done in a few metropolitan areas suggesting the urban heat island, which I'd never heard of before. It's the present, due to the presence of more people, it creates more heat in that specific area of the city. Uh, that can actually discourage the formation of weak tornadoes in city centers. This does not apply to stronger tornadoes, however, and the tall buildings may actually intensify those storms. So cities are still susceptible, even though they're not uh, too commonplace. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not not guaranteed that a tornado will never strike a city. Uh, a lot of a lot of cool stuff that I learned about tornadoes. Um, throughout my research, and a lot of your information as well, uh, which I some of it I was aware of, um, again, with the very elementary classes I took, um, but some of it I definitely didn't know. Um, it's all, all very interesting. And a lot of people, I guess like you, um, are absolutely terrified of uh, severe storms and tornadoes. So this is a, a genuine, I mean, not, not only a genuine uh, fear, but also a genuine threat to a lot of people every year. So, oh, it's genuinely terrifying, Mel. So, stay safe. That's my section. <sighs> what did you think of the beer, <laughs> buddy? I drank it all. Mine's finished. I'm gonna finish it. I know I will. It's just kind of like. Well, so then you enjoyed it uh, more than. Um... Blood of the Unicorn? Blood of the Unicorn. Yes. That's good. We didn't, um, uh, we didn't rate this one while we were oh talking yeah, about we it. we should do that now. Uh, I, I liked it. It was a, a nice, uh, pleasantly surprising, fruity, tasty, fruity beer. I thought it tasted like dirty oranges. <laughs> That's one way to describe it. It's not bad, though. It's very drinkable. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know what? My burp is tasty. It's, oh, that's nice. Got a tasty burp. That's a good side. It's just kind of like... Yeah, I mean, it's... It's, it's not stupendous, but yeah. it, like, if someone brought it and I was like, what are my options? I might drink it again. Yeah. I probably would. It's got a, I wouldn't buy it, though. It doesn't have a lot going for it. Yeah. Uh, it's not super unique, but it is a tasty blonde ale. It's made me curious enough to want to try more beers from Heretic Brewing. Mm-hmm. Um, just because it's so small. It's privately owned. It was started by, you know, a, a couple... So I'm just kind of like, oh, okay, yeah, maybe he won- he's won awards, so he knows what he's doing. He does know on he's some doing. level. So he's, I like uh, I like trying uh, small breweries like that. I think this may be, um, if I consult my list here, this may be one of the, I'm guessing, small if not the smallest uh, brewery that we've uh, bought from before. Yeah. Uh, Heretic Brewing and Distilling in California. A lot of these they are craft breweries um local craft breweries yeah. but uh they are a little bit bigger i would say than than these guys these guys only have what did i say 20 rotating beers so mm-hmm. it's good it was good beer i liked it i will i will definitely uh, i'll be drinking it again i won't that's fine it's mine anyway mm-hmm. uh, i ordered my shelf so that should be coming in uh, for all the beers either tomorrow or wednesday so i i feel like we've mentioned this i don't know if we have but you've kept all the beers 
you kept all the cans in yeah, the bottles. Yeah, I got I got every can. What I want to start doing too is um, posting these on Instagram because I've been posting the I've been tagging the brewery on Twitter and on Facebook, but I haven't really been doing that on Instagram. We do have some Instagram followers, um, and I feel we like do. we could uh, we could show our support and love for the breweries that we talk about on the show on Instagram as well. So I'll start taking taking photos of the cans. I have been saving every uh, yeah every can and bottle. So I'm going to put those on a shelf and I guess make it look cool. Immortalize them. Mm-hmm. And we'll sell them in a, or put them up in a museum someday. Yeah, or we'll sell be, them at auction. We'll be famous. Drink from the same can that Zach drank from. Yeah, f- fill it with your own beer and then. Fill it with your own saliva. <coughs> touch your lips to my Oh, spout. touch my lips. <coughs> um, Anything new? Else? I don't think so. Beerandfearcast at gmail.com. Hit us up we want to hear from you we love you all um yeah we're trying to get uh stories to to talk about on actually the show. we might be able to do one for uh december Ooh, exciting yeah very cool you're cool uh those uh flights have just kind of been chilling up there collecting dust so. they need to be you mm-hmm. uh that, that'll be fun um we're trying to get a, our Frights and Flights episode. It'll be the first of the month when it gets released. Uh, we'll see about next month. We read your stories and try your beers. And shout you out. Shout you out. And date your mom. And date your mom. Uh, Facebook, Twitter, Reddit, Instagram. We are present on. Uh, you can stay up to date with our new episodes every week on Wednesdays at noon. It's when they're released. And, uh, yeah, that's it. Have a good...